Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Berean Bible Church podcast. This is the first message in a new series called Investigating Jesus. From our green campus, here's our teaching pastor, Justin Bloor. Welcome to all of our online friends. Grateful that you're joining us here at Green. Do you know the world population today? Does anyone know where it's at? I haven't heard it yet. Now, we hit 6 billion in 1999. We hit 6 billion. We are today at 7.9. We are a hair away from 8 billion people. And I think most people around the world are kind of average, ordinary folks like us. But there are some who are famous, well-known figures, and often kind of obscure. We don't know much about them, but we'd love to. Uh, We'd love to know more. One gentleman that I think most of us don't know a lot about, but there's been a lot of tension with his nation and ours, is Kim Jong-un of North Korea. He's, he's, He's called the king of the hermit kingdom. He's an obscure figure. Most people don't know much about him. And those who do are too afraid to tell. Uh, President Xi of China, kind of the same thing. Very few people in his inner circle, and no one's going to really tell what he's really like. And I think another guy that all of us have heard a lot about lately is Vladimir Putin. Who is that guy really? Uh, Those who are close to him certainly don't want to tell. So that's kind of our gap we're left with, with these powerful figures We're left with wondering, who are they really? Are they these power-hungry freaks? Are they narcissistic? Uh, Do they have mommy issues that weren't ever resolved? Do they have these insecurities or fears? I mean, we kind of have to guess. But I say all that to say, here's our challenge, is that often people view God the same way. They view God as kind of this distant figure. They don't really understand who he is. And I think that grieves him because he is not a God who wants to be distant. And he is not a God who wants us to guess what he's like. God is actually someone who's gone to tremendous lengths to not just be close to us, but to reveal his heart to us. And the way that he did that is in an unforgettable way. So today we're going to start a series Uh, where we're going to learn more about who God really is. And you may wonder, how are we going to do that? Are we going to do some religious rituals? We're going to do some chanting? No, we're not going to do that. Are we going to do some interviews with some theologians? Uh, Are are we going to study some deep theology? We're not going to do any of those things. The next few months, what we're going to do is we're going to simply investigate his son. And we're going to look at 11 stories that were given to us about his son that kind of pull back the curtain on who who God is. And I think what you'll find is a God who's neither distant nor obscure. In fact, I'm convinced of this, and I guarantee you of this. The more you know God, the more you'll like him. His character and his heart won't disappoint. And I'm going to wager a guess this morning that the opposite will be true. His character and his heart will delight you and will bring you the greatest peace and the greatest joy that a person could ever experience. 
You don't believe me, do you? All right, so turn with me, and we'll look together at John chapter 1, page 851 in your chair Bible, if you'd like to use that. Uh, and if you'd like a Bible, take that home with you. It's our, it's our gift to you. It's our thanks for being here and having a hunger for God. John chapter 1, I'm going to read out of the NLT translation that matches our chair Bibles. And, and let me give you a bit of background before we get started in this book of John. How many gospel accounts are there? How many accounts of Jesus' life do we have in the Bible? Anyone know? We have four accounts, four accounts. There is one that's not like the other. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They're kind of synchronized in a way. They overlap. They share a lot of similar events and stories just from a different perspective. And so they're the common view gospels. But John stands alone. His record records none of Jesus' parables which I find kind of fascinating. He didn't record a single one of Jesus' parables. He only records seven of Jesus' miracles. He's much more focused on Jesus' words. And so we get a lot, if you have a red-letter Bible, you see a lot of red, the words of Jesus, in the book of John. He, he kind of captures a lot of what Jesus shared firsthand. And, and he recorded interactions that Jesus had that no one else really talks about. He recorded interactions with a, a, a curious important official named Nicodemus. He recorded interactions of Jesus and, and doubting Thomas. He recorded interactions of Jesus and, and betraying Peter. And there's these interactions that John records for us that no one else does. It's a compelling account. For many, they would say their favorite gospel is John. And that might have been for the singular reason. John was one of Jesus' best friends. And he was with Jesus day and night for the last three years of Jesus' life. In fact, he was even at the cross as Jesus died. The last disciple Jesus spoke to before he died was John. He loved and respected John so much that he turned the care of his mom over to John as he was dying. And so there's this, there's this unique relationship that Jesus and John had. And, and what John did 50 years later is he sat down and he wrote this story or this collection of stories about the life of Jesus. Today we'll just hit one. Over the next few weeks we'll hit the next 10. So verse 1, here we go. In the beginning, the what's your Bible say? The Word already existed. The word was with God, and the word, anyone feel like he just jumped into the deep end of the pool? What in the world is he talking about? You've got the beginning, you've got the word, you've got God. What's he talking about? Okay, the beginning. The beginning here, he's talking about the beginning of the universe. When God initiated the start of time and matter and space. If you go back to that moment, the launch of the universe, who was already there? According to the text, what does it say? The Word. We're not told who the Word is or what the Word is. We're just said the Word was there. When the universe began, there was someone called the Word who was already there. Now, does this sound like a riddle to you? 
It is, and that's intentional. John's asking people to step back in time when, when the universe began to find someone who was already there. And there's a reason for this. John's trying to help us see that there's someone who's bigger than the world. You say, well, why does that matter? Because if there's someone who's bigger than the world, that means there's someone out there who's bigger than the problems of our world. And I need to hear that this morning. There's someone who's bigger than the problems of our world. Look at verse 2. He existed in the beginning with God. The Word did. He, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So the word here, the word, we're getting clues in the riddle. The word was responsible for creation. The word was with God. The word was God. The word authored life. The word brought this light that's inextinguishable to everyone on earth. And you begin to put the pieces of the riddle together and you realize as you keep reading, the word is none other than John's best friend, Jesus. He wants the world to know that Jesus isn't new. When he was born, it wasn't the start of his life. When he was conceived, it wasn't the start of his life. He's ancient. Creation, light, and life all came from him at the launch of the universe. And, and we take Jesus' light for granted because we've lived with it our whole lives and it's always been with us. We can't imagine the world without it. We can't imagine our world without what Jesus has given us. But I think before we go further, something to just know this morning is that everything good originated from Jesus. So if there's anything good in your world and in your life, in your story, in your past, in your present, you need to know it had its origins with Jesus. And that's what John's tracing back. Verse 6, here we go. God sent a man, John the Baptist, or the baptizer, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, John, who he's mentioning, is not the John who wrote this. He's the cousin of Jesus, and he was the forerunner for Jesus Christ. So if you've ever been to an event, you know that before the main event happens or the main act comes out, there's always an MC who kind of softens and warms up the crowd. That was John the Baptist. He was warming up the world for the introduction of the main event. 
Jesus knew that when he entered the world and kind of went public with his identity, it would stun the world. So he, he wanted to give him time to process mentally and to prepare spiritually. So John was that buffer. John was the one to kind of say, hey, heads up, everybody. The world's about to change. Someone's alive right now who's going to reveal his identity soon. And he's going to change everything. And your life will never be the same. Why don't you believe? Why don't you get baptized now? And if you know the story, one day John the Baptist is just saying that message. He's baptizing people in a river. And all of a sudden, he sees his cousin on the bank. And he's like, there he is. There, there he is. And Jesus was baptized that day. And that, that began three years of a life-changing story as he revealed his identity. Verse 10, the story continues here. He, the word, Jesus, came into the very world he created. But here's kind of the tension. The world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Now, we all know the story of Christmas, which is what this is referring to. We, we know the story of Jesus' birth. We know the nativity scene. We kind of get it. Jesus was born in an animal stable in a small rural town in the Middle East. While his entrance to earth was humble, here's kind of the rub. His entrance shouldn't have been the way it went. I mean, he shouldn't have been such a stranger. It should have been more like a movie director showing up at the set of the movie, or, or a president showing up at the White House. It should have been like a, a business owner going to his corporate offices and doing an all-hands meeting. It should have been like that. Jesus is creator of the universe. All of nature, all people were handmade by him. So when he shows up, it should have been a big deal. But only a few wise men and a few shepherds actually got it. If you remember the Christmas story, you know what I'm talking about. And then thousands of years before this, the reason why this is such a tension-filled event with Jesus coming to earth is because thousands of years before he came, he had chosen out of all the peoples of the world, one people, in fact, one man who was going to become the father of his people, his nation. And that one man was named Abraham. And he would become the father of the chosen people. And the Jewish people would be God's people. On top of that, God said out of all the nations in the world, this globe of nations, this globe of continents, this globe of land masses, I'm going to choose one sliver of land to be my land. And God chose this tiny little land bridge between Asia, Africa, and Europe. It's, it's the connector of all those three continents. We call it Palestine or Israel. And God said, that's my land, and I'm going to let my people live in that land. And so when God decided to send his son to that land, he was coming home to his people and his land. And he was a total stranger. And not only was he a total stranger, but he was flat out rejected. And the scandal of that would maybe be, I, I try to think, what's the comparison? Maybe if you heard that the president wasn't allowed to go into the White House because he couldn't prove his identity. 
and he's locked outside knocking on the door and no one will let him in. I mean, we'd laugh, but it would be this global scandal and it'd be embarrassing. That's what happened when Jesus came. Like he's coming to the place he should have come to, to his land, his people. Not only was he not recognized, the door was slammed shut in his face. Verse 12. But, and this is kind of where the tension gets relieved just a little bit, but, and this is a big but, to all who received, or I'm sorry, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, up until this point, who were his kids? The children of Abraham, the Jewish people. When he was rejected, he kind of changed his adoption process. He said, you know what? I open my arms wide. Anyone in any country, of any nationality, of any bloodline who believes in me, you can come on in and be part of my family. And he created in that a new family, diverse from every country in the world. Look at verse 13. They are reborn. Those who believe and accept Jesus are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are reborn. The term that Jesus used later in, this, in, in a few chapters is born again. Confusing to many people, but it's this idea that you underwent at one point a physical birth, but when you believe in Jesus, you undergo a new soul birth. You're reborn in your spirit. Verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. Now, literally what that says in the original language is God pitched his tent with us. Kind of a neat analogy. Those of you who are campers, right? Just imagine that. Next to you in a campsite is usually someone who's loud and obnoxious and smells bad. But here's God literally pitching his tent next to us. And that's what he did when he sent his son to earth. He became human. He made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So this is just the contrast that Jesus is introducing. When he comes and he pitches his tent next to us, he's giving us a contrast between all of the world and himself. Because he's filled with these two things, unfailing love and faithfulness. What is our world filled with? Fickle love, unfaithfulness. What is it that Jesus brings? Unfailing love and faithfulness. This is why we need Jesus so bad. He has everything we don't. He has everything we need. He has everything we want. So he pitched his tent with us. Verse 15. John testified about him, his cousin, when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said someone's coming after me who is greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. <laughs> A story just came to mind. I, gotta, I don't know if I should share this or not. I'll share it. Um, 
I'll regret it, maybe, I don't know. But, okay, on our honeymoon, um, we went camping around the country. And we went on this, this month-long cross-country trip, 9,000 miles, hit 24 states. It was awesome. It was awesome. We had a lot of fun. Our first campsite we stayed at was <laughs> in Yellowstone. It was Memorial Day weekend, 2005. I thought for sure when I planned our honeymoon that Memorial Day weekend is a good time to start camping. When we got to the entrance of Yellowstone, the lady looked at us and said, are you guys in a cabin or are you in an RV? I said, we're tenting. And she got this strange smirk and she said, would you like the weather report? Tonight we'll be in the 20s with snow. And she proceeded to tell us the next three days what the weather would be like. It would be in the 20s with snow the whole time. It was stinking cold. <laughs> but we had a, a guy in a campsite next to us with a son who didn't get the hint that we were on our honeymoon and wanted our own space. He thought we were his best friends. Yeah, so he just decided, like, we need extra canned food. So he just kept coming over with his son and giving us all this canned food. And then he started giving us, I mean, our car was packed with supplies. He just kept giving us more and more stuff. I don't know if he was liquidating or what, but by the end of our campsite, like, we would hide in the woods waiting for them to go in their tent before we'd go to our tent just to have some privacy. He was really kind and really nice, but we really didn't need canned food. I don't even think we had a can opener. So when God chose to camp next to us, he wasn't obnoxious. He wasn't giving us things we didn't need out of the goodness of our hearts. He genuinely put his campsite next to us and said, whatever you need, whenever you need it, I'm here. I'll give you what you need. I'll give you space if you need space. I'll give you time if you need time. I'll give you support if you need support. That's the kind of God he is. All right, enough about my honeymoon. Verse 18. Uh, well, hold on a minute. When, when he talks about John the Baptist, when he talks about the, the law of Moses, he's saying that, that Jesus is just better than John. He's greater than John. He fulfilled the law of Moses. And then the last verse we'll talk about today is verse 18. No one has ever seen God. Is that a true statement? No one's ever seen God? Well, but the unique one, there's a but there. No one's ever seen God, but the unique one. I love how John calls him that. The unique one who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Do you want to know what God is like? Then learn about Jesus. Jesus reveals the Father's heart. That is the singular conclusion that John comes to at the end of this riddle is he reaches this conclusion. He has revealed God to us. When you know Jesus, you know God's heart. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. The more you learn about, the more you get to know Jesus, you can be certain that you are getting to know the heart of God. Jesus' love and his faithfulness reflect God's heart. Now let me ask you, did Jesus have any superpower when he was on earth? He had a ton of superpower. He had a ton of ability. And how did he use that? Did he use that to draw attention to himself? 
No, he used it to serve the people around him. And as soon as he began doing that, and it was kind of his mom who forced him into his first miracle at the wedding at Cana, as soon as he started doing these miracles, crowds flocked to him and they wanted more. They wanted a show, they wanted healing, they wanted a miracle, they wanted to watch him at work. And Jesus got to a point where he couldn't get any alone time. Frequently, when you read the stories of Jesus, he's trying to get alone. He's trying to get a little bit of time to pray, to process, to rest. And most of the time when he went to do that, he was interrupted by people who wanted help, by people who wanted healing, by people who wanted Jesus. And what amazes me about Jesus is he wouldn't turn anyone away. Like even if it was his day off, even if it was his weekend, even if it was his alone time, he would not shut out people. And that reflects the heart of God who never shuts out people. That's who God is. Now, like many of you this past week, we experienced multiple days of pure fun. AKA no power, no internet, going without the ability to uh, hop in the shower, to not brush teeth. Man, you just feel, well, you know how you feel. Uh, We ended up getting buckets of snow and putting it inside, melting it down so we could do a a flush a day of the toilet. Oh, the kids had fun. We felt like we were living Little House on the Prairie. Um, only we don't have the wisdom of Ma and Pa Ingalls. We have no idea how to do that kind of life. And, and it's funny, just with the lack of, smel- the lack of sleep this week, the, the, the smells in our house, um, the challenges, I felt frustrated. I felt on edge. If you, if you lived with me this week, you'd be able to write some entertaining stories. But I could tell you what you wouldn't write about me you wouldn't write John 1. You wouldn't write, into the darkness, Justin brought light (laughs) and peace and love. So imagine what it took for John to write this about his best friend. I mean, he lived with Jesus for three years, night and day, where Jesus experienced worse than what we experienced this week. Jesus didn't just experience lack of power. Jesus experienced homelessness. He experienced constant lack of sleep, filth, hunger, thirst. He experienced anger and opposition many of the places he went. He experienced suffering and even torture. John even watched him die. And so here's the guy who sits down 50 years later and writes this about the guy he lived with for three years during that rough time. And he describes for us a a man who just kept serving those around him even when his own basic needs weren't being met. A man who kept helping those around him even when he didn't get the sleep that he needed. And over and over and over, he describes for us in this book a guy who went to extraordinary lengths to be unselfish, And what John wants us to know is when he describes his best friend in this book, he's not just describing an amazing person. He's describing 
God. He's describing the heart of God. Jesus put it this way. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Because his disciples kept clamoring. They hoped Jesus would give them access to God. And Jesus is like, I'll do better than that. I'll give you access to God. You want to see God? Look at me. Jesus spent his life exposing the heart of God, and knowing Jesus means knowing God's heart. Here's what I know about the people around you. The people in your home, in your family, the people at your work, at your school, they need someone around them who has God's heart. And what if that someone is meant to be you? What if you and me get to show them what God is like? And I I saw this happen in a cool way this week. Our campus here had no power, so we couldn't be sheltered like we wanted to. So we teamed up with the fire department in green and um, it, was, it was Wednesday, and, and the need was for some shelter and some showers and some food. And we said, let's, let's, let's just rally people and let's provide a hot meal for our community and a shelter. And I'm telling you what, our church family rallied on Wednesday in a few hours to provide a really good hot meal for this community. And I watched as people came in who were hungry, who were stressed, who were anxious, who were were filthy, who were frustrated, as many of us were too. But I watched as they came in, and I watched as the smiles of people in this church kind of melted away all that anxiety. And I watched people eat and stay just to talk because they felt something. They felt a warmth that was more than just the warmth from the heat. They felt a love coming from many of you. God's heart is amazingly contagious. And when you get close to Jesus, it may surprise you how much you change and how much that changes the people around you. So today, we begin a journey walking through the first few chapters of John's gospel. And my prayer over these next few months is that we learn about the heart of Jesus and in doing so, it changes our hearts. Many series we do, we like to give you a recommended bonus resource if you're a reader, um, a studier. And so the one for this series that I'd like to recommend is this. The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. When I read this the first time, um, it was probably 15 years ago or so. It was probably in a tent in Yellowstone. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I read this, it completely changed my view of Jesus. I've grown up in the church, and I had never seen Jesus this way before. Um, there's one statement on here by uh, an author, Lewis Smeads. He says, this is the best book about Jesus I've ever read, probably the best book about Jesus in the whole century. Yancey gently took away my blinders and blazed the trail through my own doubting fears, pious know-it-all, and critical balderdash until I saw the Savior anew and I thought I heard him ask me, now who do you say I am? And I understood the question as I never had before. 
So, if you want to go deeper than John, I encourage you, read the first five chapters of John, but maybe read this book and see Jesus in a way that you've never seen him or heard about him maybe in Sunday school or in a message before. Let's wrap up uh, with prayer. Would you bow with me this morning? And let me, let me speak a few words before I, before I pray. I don't know where you're at with Jesus. But I do know where Jesus is at with you. He loves you. He pitched his tent next to you. To show you what God is like. And to show you the heart of a God. Who can forgive anyone of anything. So you need to know this morning. That as distant as you might feel from God. He is not distant or far from you. So maybe this morning you, you'd like to know him better. That begins with taking a step of faith. Maybe it's a step to believe in him and say, okay, I, I don't know you, I don't understand you, but I'm going to choose to believe in you. I'm going to choose to pursue you. Maybe it's reaching out to us and saying, could you connect me with a mentor? I'd, I'd like to learn more. We'd love to have you in that journey of faith. And maybe you're a child of God and maybe you know that Jesus has pitched his tent next to yours, but maybe you don't hang out a lot with him. He's really respectful. He gives you space. He won't crash your campsite. But boy, he'd love to sit around that fire with you. He'd love to talk with you. He'd love to be your best friend. He'd love to be your support. So maybe today you need just the healing presence of Jesus around your campfire. Invite him. He'll come. Spend time with him this week. Immerse yourself in the stories that his best friend John wrote about him. And maybe meet a Jesus that you've never met before. Father, thank you for exposing your heart by sending your son. We are so grateful that we can look at the life that he led and learn all about the heart that you have. Today, come to our campfire. Spend time with us. And may we learn to reflect your heart. We pray this in the powerful, eternal and ancient name of Jesus Christ, the one who breathed the world into existence and created us. Amen.